0: All right, so we're done. We can go home. That was awesome. Um, this is, and, and truly, uh, the script that was written uh, by Katie Seavers, um, she lifted so much scripture uh, that it's, you really got a good taste of the book of Ruth. We're, this is the uh, uh, part of what we've been going through as we've been chronologically going through the scriptures from the Old Testament to New. And, and the, the book of Ruth is a love story. Uh, it's a love story with everything that you'd look for in a love story. It, it has tragedy. It has suspense. Um, it has an amazing ending. It has an overbearing mother-in-law with no sense of boundaries. It's phenomenal. It's got the whole thing. And, but the, 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 the question that anyone who's studying Scripture asks is this, why is this book in the Bible? There's no major theological principle overtly being communicated. There, there's, I mean, the, the amount of time that even God's name is surfaced is minimal when you compare it to others. Why? The reason that we look at this book and we say that this is part of the inspired canon of God, the, the, the words of God that, that he actually has inspired is because of the fact that we see in Ruth a story within the love story. I mean, you've got Boaz, you've got Ruth, you have Naomi, that's awesome, but there's a story within the story, and it's a story that points to Jesus. John Piper put it this way, a thousand years before Christ, this book glorifies his saving work on the cross. Ruth is about the work of God in the darkest times to prepare the world for the glories of Jesus Christ. And so if you've got your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn in them to Ruth chapter 1. If you have your copy of the story, you can go to chapter 9 and uh, jump on over to page 122 of chapter 9. Um, and as you're turning there, um, just to give, again, some context, last week we talked through uh, what God was doing with the, with the judges and the fact that, that after Joshua, we had the nation set, the territories are set. We talked about how every single one of these names are not just arbitrary weirdo names like Zebulon or Naphtali, but that these are actually... These are each one of these are the promise of God that he kept his promise to Abraham, that, that he did make this nation great through him, that, that he would have offspring that it would be going on out. But the story, it takes place in the time of the judges the book of Ruth starts out letting us know. So it's not a prequel or a sequel to Judges. It's like right, it's a side story that takes place in the crazy tragedy of everything that we talked about last week. And actually right down here in the southernmost area, off east of the Dead Sea on the plains of Moab. And, and, and in this, um, as you already heard from, from the monologue prior to this, that the fact that, that this was something where Ruth is someone who was from Moab Uh, Naomi and her husband are out in they go from Bethlehem Naomi goes from Bethlehem to Moab her kids end up marrying Moabite women and all of a sudden both her husband and her kids are dead She hears that God is doing something good over in Bethlehem. Because remember, as we were going through the book of Judges, God would showcase his goodness and his blessing on Israel when they returned to him. And so we see God's blessing being poured out, that their crops were doing good. And so their tragic situation, being husbandless, was far more like a difficult situation back in those days than it was today. By the way, I I want to just give a quick shout-out to Mr. and Mrs. Garcia over in New York. Um, They're catching the service over there, and we're excited to have them. I forgot about saying that last week, but we're very, very cherished cherished people who um, gave birth to this really cool guy named Carlos. And so, um, Mr. and Mrs. Garcia, we're very happy that you're with us today. The Plains of Moab, this is an important thing for us to remember because— the fact that a person was a widow meant that you had a lower class situation. Um, you went from being someone who was secure in being married to someone who could provide to being totally distant from that. And so it wasn't just like, man, this is gonna make life more difficult. It made life very much more difficult. Your situation in the society had dropped and many societies look at you as a, as a liability, um, as someone who is a drag on the culture. And so they're in the plains of Moab, and they decide to go back to Bethlehem. And so this is a uh, 30 mile over the through the plains of Moab, across um, over to the north side of the Dead Sea into Bethlehem. 30 miles, seven to ten day journey, because again they're taking all of their stuff, all their belongings. They're not going on vacation. They're not going for a day hike. They're bringing everything they've got with them. Seven to ten day journey. It's a 2,000 foot climb, and so this is again pretty treacherous, and it's over treacherous terrain. It's a massively hilly desert region, but on top of it being massively hilly desert region, it's also some place where there are bandits—not some place where you just want mom and, and a daughter to go out type of thing. On top of this, as, as they're starting to head out there, the beginning of Ruth cues us in that something takes place in Naomi. Naomi, the mother-in-law, she's got her two daughter-in-laws going with her back to Israel, back into Judah, back into Bethlehem, and as she's going back to the Israelites, it dawns on her, "What am I doing?" I am bringing two Moabite women back home. Now, Moabites were not people that Israelites were super huge fond of for a couple of reasons. It wasn't just xenophobic bigotry. Um, There was a little bit of that. But on top of that, um, they had good reason to be sketchy about the Moabites. The Moabites, they came from a guy named Moab, who was the product of an incestuous relationship between Lot and his eldest daughter, And so everyone had Moabite jokes. I mean, like, you're like, oh yeah, and then a Moabite stepped into the bar and you know what happened. And so everyone's like, Moabites, those those people from that line, from Moab, You and we all know what happened there. On top of that, there were people that in Israel's history, there were Moabite women who seduced Israelite men into a sexual relationship. And it's not saying that that took a whole lot of convincing, but these Israelite men went along with it and God judged them and they died. And they were They were executed. And so if you're a a Jewish mom over in Bethlehem and you're talking to your kid about future women, you bring up Moabites and you're like, okay, these are the people you stay away from. These people are a curse and we all know about their people, if you know what I mean. That was something that was put out there. And so Ruth or Naomi realizes bringing Ruth and Orpah back to Bethlehem is a bad move for them. And so that's when she tells them to go back, just go back, stay away. And Orpah's like, sweet, I, I get it, I'm going back. But Naomi, Naomi sees Ruth actually step up and say, no, I will follow you. And so Ruth makes that journey all the way to Bethlehem. And that's where we catch up with what's taking place. In Ruth chapter 1, verse 19, or if if you have your copy of the story, it's on 122, third to last paragraph, and it says this. So the two women, this is Naomi and Ruth, went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Listen to Naomi. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara. All right, now, okay. Um, If I, if I, Jeff, that's Jeff. If I went up, hey, Jeff, he's like, don't call me Jeff. Call me Charlie. (laughs) Your name's Jeff. Well, it's because back then, people really had a lot of significance in their name. You know what Naomi means? Pleasant. And so Naomi, whenever you see, hey, pleasant, pleasant. And she's like, don't call me pleasant. And this is why. She says, don't call me Naomi. She told them, call me Mara. You know what Mara means? Bitter. You ever met a Mara? Are you married to a Mara? Don't answer that. All right. Don't call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very Bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And so Naomi, she's super fun to be around. Uh, she's, whew, but she's, but she's someone who, again, this is a, a, when we're looking at this story, you can see why. She left Bethlehem, and even though they went over there to Moab, it was something where she felt at least complete. She feels like God has just turned his back on her. Have you ever felt that way? Felt like you can't relate to the Bible or Christians because they just feel like everything's good. Oh yeah, God's, I'm, I'm a Christian, so everything works perfect. You can believe that until you read the Bible. When you read the Bible, you realize that God is in the work, in the midst of tragedy. Um, David Platt, when he was uh, studying this, said this, God sometimes ordains sorrowful tragedy to set the stage for surprising joy. When God may seem farthest from you, He may be setting the stage for the greatest displays of his faithfulness to you. In your suffering, God may be setting the stage for your satisfaction. And we see that. And on top of seeing that in this this passage, we actually see that as well. um, In just the whole reality that a lot of those those things that when, when we learned about God giving the law... To Moses at Mount Sinai, 633 laws. Some of these just seem so arbitrary and pointless. And all of a sudden in Ruth, we start seeing some of the point. Because one of the things that, that this culture said was, if you are an orphan, you got no dad, you're a liability. If you're a widow, you're a liability. If you're a foreigner, we don't care about you. All culture said that. And God, when he's conditioning his people, he says, that's true of everyone else but you. You are people that are going to be looking after the widow and the orphan. But what? Because I am the God who advocates for the widow and the orphan. You're going to be people who extend your rights to the foreigner who's the attestator who's coming in. But why? Because I am the God who advocates for them. And so we see these two provisions, the whole gleaning thing, where basically um, if you're uh, harvesting a field, you didn't harvest the corners because that was something where people who were foreigners or widows or orphans could go in and actually pick from that legally. They had the legal right to pick from that. It wasn't a ton, but it was enough for them to survive or to follow along after people who were harvesting and pick up whatever they left behind. We see a God who who surfaces not only there as, as a God who's a provider, but also we see this idea of a redeemer. Because again, if you're a widow, it's curtains for you. That's why Naomi was so bitter. She was too old to remarry. She didn't have any hope. But for, for, for when we see Boaz step in, we see this redeemer step up, and this is why I believe that this is in the scripture. Why the Book of Ruth is in scripture, because this is not just about Ruth. It's about someone else, and it's not just about Boaz. It's about someone else. We see in Ruth a reflection of us in our destitute state, and we see in Boaz the redeemer, a picture of the Heavenly Father. We see a picture of the, our Savior, Redeemer, Jesus. See, because what, what, what we see in this passage are two markings of a Redeemer. A Redeemer is someone who sees what others don't and does what others won't. A Redeemer is someone who sees what others don't and actually does what others won't. Let's take a look at the first part of that. A Redeemer who sees what others do not see. If you uh, take a look at the next page, on page 123, or Ruth chapter 2, The first couple of verses there. They're now in Bethlehem. Ruth and Naomi are there, and it says this. This is a second paragraph down on page 123. And Ruth the the Moabite, again, as you're going through the book of Ruth, you're going to see over and over again, the author wants to remind you, by the way, Moabite, over and over again, because they want you, they don't ever want you to forget the context of the fact that she's a foreigner, and, and all this stuff is happening. Now Naomi had a relative, uh, sorry, back down where I was reading. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. She went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out. And the, and the vocabulary there, the grammar there, is, is almost positioning a, as chance would have it. Just uh, as luck would have it, all of a sudden she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. So someone who was in her dead husband's family, who could potentially be her redeemer. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz answered the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she's the Moabite. And again, it gets I'm reminding you, the Moabite, you know, the stories of the Moabites, who came, from back, who, came back, who came from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. In other words, this woman has been mooching off of our field all day long. I mean, I get that it's legal. I get that we're supposed to do this, but she's been here all. The only thing that she did was take a brief siesta and then move right back on out and start to glean again. What we see here is a massive juxtapose as far as what people are seeing. What other people see when they look at Ruth is they see a financial, racial, and religious outsider. They see someone who's obviously, if she's gleaning, she's got to be super poor. And we're only doing this because our God has called us to do this. It's in the law. We know that she's a racial outsider. She's a Moabite. Have I told you the Moabite jokes? Moabite. She's also a religious outsider. Moabite people worship Baal, Baal Peor. And so this was someone who, again, I have every reason to have zero respect. And when I see her, I see that. What does Boaz see? We see a radical difference in what Boaz sees when he sees Ruth. He sees the person beyond the baggage. Have you ever thought, um, if people really knew me, they would not like me. You ever thought that? Or have, OK, this has freaked me out. Have you ever thought about what if everything you thought during the week was transcribed and handed out to everyone you knew? or videoed? How many people would like you by the end of the week? Zero. I mean, uh, sometimes we get this, this fear, like if, I actually, if people actually knew what was in my deepest, darkest thoughts, I would have nobody. Who would accept me? What they would see is all of that. When I first came to, uh, when I first met Julie, it was at Moody Bible Institute in uh, the fall of 1995. And I remember when I first met her. I remember seeing like, "Oh my goodness, she's she's amazing. She's this amazing, amazing young woman. Amazing. I'm 18. She's 18. But there's no chance. Zero chance." And I, and that was pronounced even with more of an exclamation when I looked down at at the way that I looked versus the way that she looked. And I I looked and I'm like, I've got these chewed up uh, Vans skateboard shoes, uh, baggy skateboard shorts, um, army socks that I had pulled up to my knees that I got from some army recruiter, along with, you know, a a bag of M&Ms. And I just pulled those up and I had like this 7-Eleven uniform on with the name Javier. And I was just like, I'm like, man, there's no chance. It was a year from that point to when we went on our first date. Because it took her a year to forget what she saw when she first saw me. <laughs> now, actually, I, I think I kind of maintained that look all the way through. But, but the truth is, is that, you know that when somebody sees you differently, if you're married or you're in a relationship, remember what it was like when, when they first saw you. And, they, and you first got, you picked up the vibe that they like me. And there was something inside of you that melts. Because you're like me? I'm likable? They clearly don't know me, but I love it. I love it. So I got to just make sure that they don't get to know me as long as possible. And so that's why when in relationships and dating is such a poor version, a picture of who the person actually is, you don't really get to know the person until a couple years into marriage. Well, maybe a couple weeks into marriage. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, it's you. I had no idea, Right? And that's why every time you want to impress someone, whether you're dating or you're in a job, you're trying to put out this image and this impression of who you are because you think that's the only way that you will be acceptable. You know, if you, are, if you have a good work ethic at work, you're really trying to... Hello. You're really trying to... It's a plague. Um, you're really trying to, to convince people that, that that's who you are. If you're healthy, I mean, you try to be healthy because you don't want people to look at you and say, oh, you're sick. I feel so bad for you. If you're in school, you're like, you, you want to get decent grades. Get people, and if you do, people will say, oh, you're gifted. And if not, they're like, I don't know about your future. If you've been divorced or something terrible has happened in your life, you, you feel like I've got all of these things that are like these... Blackball. I'm like, I'm constantly disqualified over and over and over again. And that truly is how people see you. And that's what's amazing about the fact that we have a redeemer. Because our redeemer, if you're a Christian, our redeemer did not look at you and say, because you're attractive, I will save you. Because you're holy, you're holier than other people, you're more righteous, you're a pretty good person, I will save you because of that. Scripture says that our redeemer met us when we were dead in our sins. When we were not attractive, we had nothing to put forward. And yet, out of love, he sought us out. That's grace. And I mean, that's amazing. And maybe, maybe you've actually gone through a lot of your life where you've ignored that. Or you think, you know what? I've actually, I have all these insecurities within my mind, but I've done enough things that I feel good about. Or people don't know this yet. Or or I have enough stuff, or I have enough friends, or I have enough whatever to to counterbalance that. And so I feel like I'm pretty acceptable by God. And if that's you, you're lying to yourself. The point of grace is recognizing that Christ sought us without any reason to seek us. He saw what others don't. And then he does what others won't. We see Boaz stepping in and actually uh, doing just that. If you continue on down to the next verse or next uh, part of page 123. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. Pause. Why? Because they might. In this time... If you're one of these harvesting men and you look over and you see that there's this poor woman and she's gleaning from the corners, that's a flag. It's a tell. It lets you know that this person has no one to defend them. So who's going to know? Who's going to know if I lay a hand on her? I mean, after all, she's a Moabite. Who's going to care? After what their people did to our people? Some people might even find it justified. Boaz does not stand for that. The Redeemer comes in and protects Ruth. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, listen, listen to Ruth's response. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you took notice of me, A foreigner. I mean, she doesn't even call out that she's a Moabite, because again, that's, that's a disgraceful thing. But she's like, you're looking at me, and you're treating me so good. I don't deserve this. Jump to the next page, a couple verses down. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You've put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I don't have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. This is the first date that we have in Ruth, okay? When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate it and all she wanted, and she ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her, even pull out some stocks from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up, and don't rebuke her." She ends up going back home in this interlude between the, in their relationship with 30 to 50 pounds of grain. Instead of just like a pound, a pound and a half to get through the day, she's able to come back with plenty. And so what we see in Boaz is someone, we see the redeemer doing, he's not only seeing what others don't, he's doing what others won't. See, what others will do for someone like that is I'm gonna do whatever is convenient or beneficial for me. If, if, if it's beneficial to be kind to this person, if other people are gonna give me like props for that, Boom. Okay. I'm going to do that. If you're respectful to me, I'll show you respect. If you love me, I'll show you love. But you see what we see in Boaz is this. He doesn't simply have this kid pro quo. In order to be a redeemer, you have to have the willingness and the ability to pay the cost to redeem somebody, to bring them into your clan, your family. And we see that he's able, he's willing to do whatever it takes to bring the destitute back into the family. And and throughout this book, we recognize that. He seeks her. He shelters her. He protects her from the other men. He serves her. He brings her into a situation where he's now He's not the servant, but he's serving her food. And then he showers the destitute with grace. And we see this when we have Ruth being someone who's like, she actually, this is like the female is the one who proposes marriage in this book. When she goes to the threshing floor, that's what she's doing. She's making a proposal. And the only hang up is there may be legally someone who's closer in line than me to be the kinsman redeemer, the family rescuer. And so he checks it out. And I love how this is worded in the book of Ruth. He goes in and he goes up to this guy who's a closer relative that would be the next in line for this. And he basically says, hey, uh, you know our, our buddy, he, uh, or our, our family member, cousin, he, he, he died. And so he's got property. You interested in redeeming it. And the guy's like, yeah, that sounds awesome. Oh, and by the way, it comes with a Moabite. I'm out. Not interested. And that's when Boaz says, I will redeem her. I will pay the cost I will pay the price to bring her into the family, to take her from foreigner to family member. Now, when we look at that, that should prompt, when, we, when we're reflecting on the fact that that's not just a story, again, it's a story within a story, and we start seeing ourselves as Ruth. And as Christians, we see Jesus as Boaz, the rescuer, the redeemer, the one who saw what others don't, did what others wouldn't, and we see that. We have a question and the question is, why? like Why me? Why, why would you be actually doing this for me? If I'm completely honest, I recognize my lack of worthiness. I recognize that if I was holy every single day of my life, I couldn't like pay you back. Why me? Because when we're saying that, we're recognizing all the reasons God should not have redeemed us. And then all of a sudden we start realizing that's what God does. He redeems the unredeemable. He he takes the people who are on the outside and brings them in. That is what he does. And when we forget it, all of a sudden we see in Scripture something amazing. When we get to the book of Matthew in the New Testament, there's something that most of you will skip over because it's boring, the genealogy. But look at the genealogy. In the genealogy, we have right here Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was who? Do you guys know what tribe she's from? What people group? The Moabites. Have I told you about the Moabites? She's in the genealogy of Jesus that Matthew the Jew is writing to Jews. Why? Because God did not want her to be hidden. He wanted her to be highlighted. He did not want the fact that this foreigner Moabite was in Jesus' family line to be something that, yeah, we don't really talk about that, okay? Okay. It's in the highlight reel. Why? Because this, again, to Jewish people who said, listen, we're Jewish people. A lot of our people rejected the Messiah. So is it just like curtains for us? Matthew's like, have I shown you the genealogy of Jesus? Ruth, the Moabite, is in the highlight reel. And for us today, you know what? I have done so much. I don't believe God, forg- God could forgive some good people or some people who could, with their life, you know, do a bunch of stuff to make it up. But there's nothing I could do to make this up. To which Jesus says, I'm so glad you know that now. Because Ruth, the outsider, is someone that the redeemer brought in to the family and had a future for. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. As we talked about last week, Judges ends. The last verse of Judges says, and this was a time where Israel had no king and everyone did whatever they wanted to do. Teeing up the book of Ruth saying, but there's coming a king. King David, and we know now King David was only the start of what God was going to do through King Jesus. Why me? Because the Redeemer redeems. He is—that's what he does. Our Redeemer has a practice of bringing all kinds of people from the status of foreigner to family, from outsider to in. And if you question that in your family, remember Ruth is in the highlight reel leading up to Jesus. Why me? And then, and we go from why me to why not them. Because once you recognize that, that you are somebody who um, deserves wrath, deserves hell, deserves distance from God, but he hasn't. He actually gave you forgiveness and restoration, redemption. When that happens, all of a sudden you go from being why me to thinking, well, this, this isn't something that I, can, I, I need to hold on to. This is something I need to communicate about. But this is where Christians get really weird. We really believe this is true. We come and we sing about it. We love it. We read about it. But then we go to work and we're like... Radio silence. Or if we're really smart, when we go to Thanksgiving, radio silence. Because it's awkward. And, and listen, they got to make up their own mind. They've got a lot of reasons not to believe in God. They've got a lot of reasons not to follow Jesus. And so I'm like, who am I? I'm going like to mess up if I say something to them. And when we say that, what we've said in our hearts is, I had enough intelligence to make that decision. I had enough moral standing to make that decision. I'm just, I guess, religiously astute. I re- was raised in the right family to which I am now redeemed. And if we say that, we have chucked every aspect of the fact that we were saved by grace. When we look at other people, we need to recognize that these people are not beyond the redemption of God. I don't care what they believe or what they do or what they have done, amen? Because I mean, that's key. We have to understand, if this is something that God did to me, and for me. And God is the God who brings in the Ruths, the Moabites, the outsiders in. Why wouldn't he be able to take that person that you're thinking about, that you're going to see at Thanksgiving, or you're going to see tomorrow at work or at school? And what if you're the one that if you allowed yourself to be in that position and willing to be in that position, what if you were the one that could do that. One of the, the values at Manuka Bible Church that the staff, we were looking through some of the things that makes Manuka Bible Church NBC last fall. And the second one is that we want to be the type of people that are grace before judgment. Because whenever we say this person is too far gone or too far from God or this person I'm living with, never, they'll never follow Jesus. We have just been judgmental. We've placed a judgment over them that God has not placed. Grace before judgment. Which of course brings us to Larry Bird. Actually, not that Larry Bird. That Larry Bird. That Larry Bird goes to Minoka Bible Church. I had a chance to baptize Larry Bird. And I want to tell as many people that as I can. It's a pretty cool thing on your resume to have baptized Larry Bird. Um, Larry came to NBC by way of Rob Mulkey. And I asked Larry and Rob if they could interact and send me over the story of that. And this is what they sent over. Um, this This is Rob writing. He says, I've known Larry for over 30 years. He was one of my customers who was demanding, but usually fair in our business transactions. Over the years together, we did a lot of business together and formed a loose friendship. Larry worked long, hard hours and punished himself with lack of sleep, alcohol, cigarettes, junk food, and a negative attitude. No day was a good day for Larry. He loved his two kids, but spoke very harshly about his wife. I always tried to be as positive and thankful for all business we did together as possible and accepting of where he was in our life. Over time, Larry and I forged a closer friendship. We forged a closer friendship through my conversations and small acts of kindness towards him. While he didn't change outwardly, his attitude towards me improved. Larry didn't like his job, or for that matter, most people. I watched his health, outlook on life, his marriage, and relationship with others deteriorate over the years until finally he was broke and alone, looking forward to death. Larry knew that I was a Christian and that I attended a church. We spoke about it occasionally and he seemed to be more receptive and perhaps even curious. Finally, Larry reached out and I invited him to come with me to Minoka Bible Church. He came and was concerned that he wouldn't be accepted. We talked about Christ's love and how we're all sinners. Larry's health took a turn, and for the worse, and I found him in his house in very bad shape. He had not been out of his recliner in almost three days and was taken to the hospital in a very serious condition. Through my visits plus those of our pastoral team, Larry's attitude began, began to change about Jesus. Larry began to pray that he would get better and that he could have another chance at life, and he prayed that to Christ. When Larry came back to Minnooka Bible Church, he was a different man he wanted to be baptized. Larry Bird wanted to be baptized. I called some of our business associates who had known Larry through the years and were inquiring about his condition. I said, Larry was going to be baptized. To Larry's surprise and God's glory, several people who knew the old Larry attended Manuka Bible Church just to witness the event. And I remember that that morning, it was an 8 a.m. service. They were all back there like, and I was, I'm like, I don't think I've met you before. They're like, yeah, this is our first time. I'm like, oh, cool. And they're like, yeah, we're here for Larry. I can't believe, Larry's getting baptized. And I'm like, I know, I'm gonna baptize him. I'm gonna baptize Larry Bird. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, but you don't know Larry. You don't know how Larry used to be. This is a miracle. Rob wrote, you can take it from here, Errol. I did nothing more than make myself available for God to do his work through me. Church, when we look at this book, we see Boaz being a type of Christ and a calling on us to be like that, to be a Boaz. See, if if Boaz is a type or a small little picture of Jesus, you know what Christian means? It means like little Christ. It's like we are the little pictures of Jesus' work. In our everyday life, God is calling us to look at people that way, to actually be the type of person who sees things that other people don't and do things that other people don't. Won't, And when, when we have an opportunity to do that today, or when we have the opportunity tomorrow at work or at school to do that, to see people differently and to be the Boaz, may this be the statement of our life. The very words that Rob said at the end of that email, I did nothing more than make myself available for God to do his work through me. What if that was the epitaph? What if that was what was pronounced at your funeral? What if at Joel's funeral, Joel did nothing more than make himself available for God to do his work through him. What if Melissa? Melissa did nothing more than make herself available for God to do his work through her. What if that was the statement over our life? The book of Ruth calls us into a a deeper understanding and passion of gratitude for who God is and what he's done. And it calls us as well to step into the movement that he's about. Amen? Amen. One of the things that as a church... um, we, we don't do often, um, maybe not often enough, but it's to acknowledge those in our, in our own church community, um, that have actually been people who've served, uh, and, and actually stepped in and sacrificed, made, made sacrificial steps from a military vantage point. This is Veterans Day weekend where we get a picture of people who have surrendered and sacrificed quite a bit, um, We want to honor those of you who have served in our armed forces, but we'd like to watch a brief video. And then right after that, we'll have a few announcements. But please take a look.